0: For the next two Sundays, we're gonna talk a little bit about having a choice, and this choice that we're gonna be making is choosing a strong financial partner. When I talk about that, there are many choices that one can make about choosing a financial partner. There are a lot of financial planners, there are investment companies, insurance companies, everyone that will try to guide you financially. Well, this morning, I want to encourage you to take as your financial partner, the one that created the heavens and the earth, the God that created all things. And he has a plan, yes, a plan for finances. You know, something as important as finances. You know, last Sunday I talked about you know, grandparenting and it was Grandparents Day, National Grandparents Day. And uh, some of you are not grandparents. And so you sat there kind of like, yeah, okay, we'll catch up with you next week. And at times we kind of tune things out according to our stage of life and exactly where we're at. But I assure you, there's not one person in this room that is not interested financially in your future. When I go to the museum downtown, they've got one of those things you put a coin in, it goes round and round, you know what I mean? And the grandkids, as soon as we step in the door, they're all after me like this. And if I fail, which I usually do, Sherry may have some in her purse. I've lived in a cashless society for a long time. Let's put it that way. And so they love to watch that thing go down. And uh, I think all of us, you know, whether it's a house payment, a car payment, uh, school loans, there's uh, there's pressure. And this pressure is heavy and hard. And my prayer is that throughout this series that we can lift that burden and that we can find that there's a partner that wants to walk with us, help us in all of our realm of finances. Every financial plan makes some certain and basic assumptions. Some assume that mankind is in this rat race of life alone, and as far as they're concerned, it's every man for himself. They assume that there is no God-given plan for earning or spending or for gaining wealth. And like an orphan without a mother or father, they feel like it's all up to me. I must make it on my own. And to them, life is viewed like an independent venture. God is in his place. I'm in mine. This is my role. This is my responsibility and mine alone. And so they look at life as an independent venture from God. And to others, they see life like it's a resistant venture, they spend their lives resisting and even rebelling against God's biblical plan for finances. They believe that they have a better plan and they spend their lives resisting God's plan. Now my heart and more importantly this morning, I believe that the heart of God grieves for those who make life. You know this independent or even worse yet, a resistant venture. For far too many, life has become an exercise in financial futility. Past due bills, collection agencies, overdrawn accounts, foreclosure, repossession, and even the pain of eviction. One guy quipped, he said, the harder I work, the behinder I get. I think that some of you can relate to that. The harder you work, It seems like you just can't seem to get up and over the top of the financial debt and responsibilities in your life. You see, life was not meant to be an independent or especially resisting kind of venture. Life was meant to be a partnership with God. God's Word actually has a lot to say about finances. Matter of fact, The Bible is actually loaded with financial principles regarding borrowing and lending and co-signing and wills, estates, inheritance, and uh, buying and selling and spending and saving, only to mention but a few of the very subjects that are found in the Bible about money. Matter of fact, you might find it interesting to know this morning that there are more than 2,000 verses in the Bible that are dedicated to the subject of finances alone. That's more than the Bible speaks about heaven or about hell or about faith or about prayer. So without a question, God has clearly established then a foundation for sound financial planning and it's found in his eternal word. Here is God's plan for your life. And I believe it is spelled out in 3 John, verse 2. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as I soul prospereth. That word prosper, there's an interesting word there in the Greek. It literally means to have a successful and prosperous journey. So what God is saying, I want you to be healthy, I want you to be spiritually well, but I also want you to have a journey throughout life from the cradle to the grave, one that is successful and one that is prosperous. So this morning now, I want to share with you some life-changing principles about choosing a strong financial partner, and how you can enjoy the help and the blessing of the Lord in your life financially. It all starts out by understanding the source of all that we possess. I want you to listen to the admonition that God gave to Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 10 through 14, he says this, When you have eaten and are satisfied, we'll come back to those two terms in a moment, eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine homes and settle down, And when your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and your gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And down to verse 17. You may say to yourself in that moment when you have built your home, You have plenty of everything. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Verse 18, but remember, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Now notice, he says, there's some times that we need to be especially careful. The Bible says, when you are eaten, when you have eaten and are full or are satisfied. When you're satisfied, your stomach's satisfied, in that moment, it's kind of hard to forget that you know that there are people all over this globe that are literally starving to death. Children that are feeding themselves mud pies, trying to quench the hunger of their bodies. And so when we're full, it's easy to become proud and say, you know, I've got what I've got because I paid for it and it's all mine. I deserve it. He said, be very careful when you have eaten, when you're satisfied, and when you're full, when you build fine houses and you settle down. He said, these two things are going to, if you're not careful, are going to cause you to believe that you're the one that's made the provision for yourself. But he said, in the midst of all of that, when you have eaten and are full, and when you have built fine houses and settled down, remember who gave it to you. Remember, he says, who gave this to you. You know, friends, we enter into this world naked, and naked we shall leave. From times of antiquity, men have tried their very best to take their wealth with them. However, to date, all have failed. Think about the Egyptian pharaohs. They're a vivid example of this. They buried their stuff with them, most of which has been stolen by grave robbers over time and the rest taken by the archeologists and placed in museums all throughout the world. Or think about the Vikings when you go to Oslo. There's a huge Viking ship, a ship that I assumed that first must have sailed somewhere, either in the North Sea or somewhere around the world, only to find out that it was really a ship that they loaded up everything they thought they would need for the next life, including their slaves and their servants, for they found even in the throats and the mouth of the mummies, those that had been mummified, there was dirt inside of their mouths indicating that they were buried alive so that they could have servants in the next world. Generation after generation has tried to figure out ways they can take it with them. The Bible calls us stewards. The Bible says we're managers of God's wealth. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that we're the owner. We are managers and stewards of that which God owns. Now, Israel failed to recognize this. We read in Hosea chapter 2 and verse 5. It says, For their mother hath played the harlot. She that conceived them hath done shamefully, for she said, I will go after my lovers that give me my bread, my water, my wool, my flax, mine oil, and mine drink. Notice the pronouns. The pronouns there, are all mine. I'm the one that deserves this. I'm the one that made it happen. And so I will go after my lovers, and we'll talk more about that in a moment, that give me my bread, my water, my wool, my flax, mine oil, and my drink. Now listen to how God responds. She did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal, which was a false god. Therefore, I will return And I will take away, now God says, I'll take away my corn in the time thereof and my wine in the season thereof and I will recover my wool and my flax given to cover their nakedness. Other words, the clothing that they were making from the wool and from the flax. And so when God comes and takes it all back, what do you suppose is left? Tell me. Nothing, and that's absolutely right. Now look in Luke chapter 12, Jesus told a parable. And in this parable, he talks about a rich man who forgot that his wealth had literally come from God. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 16. And he, that is Jesus, told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. It was a bumper crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store. Now I want you to notice the pronouns one more time, just as we saw them the last time. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now this was written, of course, to an agricultural community and society. And so when he says grain, we could put something else in that spot, whatever it is, that is our basis of saying, this is my wealth and this is what I count on. But here's what God said, and I want you to see once again. The rich man said, it's mine, 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 mine. Here's what I will do. I made it. I'll determine how I'll use it. Look at verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? It is as though God is saying, look at all your junk. Tonight, you're going to spend your last evening, last hours of life. Now who's going to own all the things that you think that are yours, that you think you provided for yourself? Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Verse 21, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Now, friends, when things are going well, when things are going good, that is a moment when we need to be very careful not to forget that God has been the source of all of our many blessings. And in response to understanding that, and in recognition of that fact, then we honor Him with the first fruits which He has blessed us with, which the Bible calls the tithe. Well, what about the origins of a tithe? I hear people banter back and forth, well, that's Old Testament. We're not living in the Old Testament time. And I am so grateful that we're not, aren't you? I kind of figure I would have been stoned to death a long time ago if I were living in the Old Testament. I'm glad to be living under grace. However, you need to see there are some principles that are pre-law, that were in place long before the law. Let me show you how this works here according to Scripture. Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 through 20. We're coming in on the account of Abraham. He had been at the battle of the kings. He rescued out his nephew Lot and uh, brought back much of the, uh, of the uh, goods, you know, that had been uh, the bounty that was uh, taken in the, in the battle. And the Bible says this, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought up bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High. And he blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hands. And how does Abraham respond? Abraham responding in this moment to that priest, Melchizedek, says this, Then Abraham gave him a 10th of everything. And I remind you, this is 430 years before the law. Abraham, the father of the faith, then the Bible says he gave or paid a tithe to Melchizedek because he realized that God was the source of his victory, the source of all that he had just received, that he was the most high and worthy, and he possessed all of heaven and earth, and that he had given and shared with Abraham his blessing. So Abraham was blessed by God, and he wanted to give thanks to God. Therefore, he gave Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God, the 10% tithe of all that he had been blessed with. And again, I remind you that this was 430 years before the law of the Old Testament was ever instituted. So tithing, then, is not merely an Old Testament law. It was a pre-law principle practiced by the father of all true believers being Abraham. Abraham, however, was not the only pre-law patriarch to show us what we should do in response to blessing. Look at uh, Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28, this is 269 years before the law was given. Then Jacob made this vow saying, if God be with me and watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so if God is going to be my my partner, he's going to go with me, he's going to help me along the journey, he'll give me food to eat and clothing to wear, so that I return safely to my father's household after 20 years of separation, then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give you a what? Say a church. I will give you a tenth, a tithe. Now, it's quite clear then from Scripture, the tithing does not have its origins in the law, but rather amongst people that have been blessed by God and in turn want to return blessing back to God for God and His work. So what about the law then? We hear that often. Well, this is an Old Testament, it's law. Well, number one, we just proved from God's word, 430 years before the law, it was the tithe that Abraham gave to Melchizedek. And you find 269 years before the law, that once again you find Jacob paying the tithe. Well, 430 years then after Abraham, tithing was incorporated into the law to support the ministry of the tabernacle. The tabernacle and the ministry of the priesthood were to be supported then by the tithe of God's people. Your know, Ministry in all times, both then and now, takes money. It was Dr. Alan Redpath, the former pastor of Moody Church in Chicago. He tells an interesting story in his book titled The Royal Route to Heaven. And in the book he tells this exchange, listen to what he writes, and I quote, a certain Christian once said to a friend, our church costs too much. They're always asking for money. The friend replied, some time ago, a little boy was born into our home. He cost a lot from the very beginning. He had a big appetite. He needed clothes, medicine, toys, and even a puppy. Then he went to school and that costs a lot more. Later on, he went to college, and that cost a small fortune. But in his senior year of college, he became critically ill, and he died. Since his funeral, he hasn't cost me a penny. Now, which situation do you think I'd rather have? After a pause, he continued, as long as the church is alive, it costs money. When it dies, for lack of support, it won't cost anything. A living church is a hope of the world, he said. And I'm going to give and I'm going to pray with everything I have to keep my church alive. Friends, we cannot buy our salvation, nor will we ever be able to pay for our salvation. However, through faithful tithing, we can give to our God. Thou bring the gospel to our city, our state, our nation, and around the world. Let me give you just a little picture of what's going on at this very moment, live at this moment. Every Sunday afternoon when I finish up and, uh, and I begin to just kind of review the day, my staff give me all of the stats, all the numbers for the day, and everything else. And amongst them, as um, along with all of the other statistics and so on, they give me what um, is our online attendance, those and where they're from around the world. And here's what's interesting. And uh, forgive me if I repeat some of the countries or and or cities, here's the reason why. Because they come to me in a list like this and they're according to the, um, uh, the means that they're listening. It could be through Facebook or through you know, YouTube, it could be through, uh, the online presence of the website, uh, many different ways. But here, here's where they were last Sunday, and I'll know in just a few minutes where they're at this Sunday. Last Sunday, we had Wisconsin, Michigan, Iowa, Illinois, Ohio, New Jersey, Colorado, Montana, Arizona, and Florida. In addition to that, we had on another, we had Wisconsin, Illinois, Florida, Iowa, Kentucky, California, Tennessee, New York, Missouri, South Africa, Mexico, Hungary. In addition to that, we had um, Puerto Rico, we had South Africa, we had Nepal, we had Ghana, there was Colombia, there was Australia, there's the Philippines, in addition to a whole bunch of others that I won't bore you with now. And do you realize, even as you're clapping right now, nations around the world just heard that. And they heard the fact that you are thrilled that the investment that they are making is touching their lives in faraway places. Some of which, and just for security of them, I won't say where, but there are places that, that join us online where by law they're forbidden to even have a a religious broadcast coming into their lives or their home. And they're online with us even right now. God is good. And so we do not try to purchase, and we cannot purchase our salvation. What would you ever give for a life transformed? If I were to take you into the prison cells of which I've spent time just walking down those long rows and and hearing the doors slam behind me as I go in to share with with the prisoners. What would they give to have their life transformed? What would the person that's on the streets right now, not doing what they want to do, but doing what they're driven to do, drugs and abuse, Bucan, everything else that's in the. What do you think they would give to have their life transformed? I'm so glad that we have the privilege of investing in the kingdom of Almighty God. Now Malachi, Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 to 10, it asks an incredible question about... Uh, 15 years ago I did a series Great Questions of the Bible and Great Questions of the Bible this is one of the many the first one was out of the book of Genesis when God asked the question when he comes to the garden Adam where are you? and this question we read here Malachi chapter 3 is one of about 10 questions that God asks in scripture will a mere mortal rob God? That's a pretty incredible question, isn't it? Will a mere mortal, someone that's made of flesh and blood, someone that God has created and formed and shaped within the womb, given them a mind to think with and a body that's strong enough to go out and and earn and be blessed with, will a mere mortal rob God? And then he responds, yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And God responds in tithes and in offerings. Verse 9, I want you to see what the result of this is now. You are under a curse, the whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into my storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now those are some pretty strong words. Will a mere mortal rob God? The word rob there is an interesting term because we often put it only in the fact that, you know, a robber goes into a bank or they've robbed me, you know, all this kind of thing. But it really means to defraud. Will a man rob, will it take from God? Will it defraud? Will it defraud God? As a result of stealing from God then, that entire generation, a nation, was cursed with a curse, the Bible says. And because of that, nothing went right. Can you tell at times in your life when you're fighting against God? And when God has got his hand on your back and he's moving you forward? And when he's taking you along on a journey and the journey he's guiding and leading and he is a partner in that journey with you? You can sense that. But they sensed something was wrong. Nothing went right. Now I dare say there's some of you in this room right now that are living under the curse. Nothing's going right. Everything's breaking down. Bills are piling up and you're merely treading water. You're making more than you've ever made and yet it's not satisfying, it's not meeting the needs. You know, for a long time, I had a sign that I kept on my desk as a reminder. And here is the sign that I had at my desk. When you're faced with a busy day, save precious time by skipping your devotions. Signed, Satan. Now, how many know the devil don't like you starting out your day with God? How many know that he'd like for you just to just spend a day after day after day Frustrated? And always just, you know, scrambling, going here, going there, just, you know, feeling like you're going nowhere, but you're working hard. All you know, things go better when we start out our day with God, amen? And so, you know, I've, I've made that a, a, a pattern for my life. I don't want to wait until half the day is messed up and I'm frustrated. I want to start my day with God. I want to live that entire day with God. And that's the way God did it with Adam and Eve, if you remember right. The Bible said he came and he met with them in the cool of the day, which is early in the morning. I kind of picture it this way. God was the one that got him up in the morning. God was the one that tucked him in at night. And so God was with all day long. Now I want you to consider here of how God has a plan. And in that plan, if I were to take and paraphrase that little saying about, you know, spending time with God. I would put it this way. When you have more financial obligations than you can handle and money is tight, skip your giving to God, skip your tithe. Signed who? Yeah. Let me talk about God's promise. God's got a wonderful promise. You know, there's been a lot of promises made throughout the years. Bernie Madoff, he made some promises, didn't he? And he absconded with $20 billion. Do you realize that $20 billion is equivalent to every man, woman, boy, and girl, every baby in the entire United States, every single individual, about $57 was stolen from every person across the whole nation. It didn't come from everyone, however, it came from certain ones that had trusted him, and trusted his plan, and of course, he went to prison for it, and even died in prison. Matter of fact, you've all heard the the term Ponzi scheme? It comes from the name of a man by the name of Ponzi. Ponzi, he took advantage of people, and this was many, many years ago, where it gets its name. And he absconded with over $9 million long ago. And so we find a lot of promises out there. And who do you trust? And like it says in the back here, choosing a strong financial partner. Can we push this together and have partnership with God? Now look at Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10. It says, bring the whole tithe into my storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, there is not enough room to store it. Look at verse 11. So God's first promise is, He's going to do what? He's going to open the floodgates of heaven. Have you ever seen floodgates open up on a dam? It's an amazing sight. I was in Phoenix back in 1980 when they had the 500-year flood. Those of you who have ever been through Phoenix, you know it's not given to big rains. But this was a 10-day rain that rained almost nonstop. The Salt River, which is normally dry, was running all the way to the top of the Maricopa Bridge. They shut the bridge down, thinking that the pylons would wash away. I went down along with uh, some other members of of my family that live in Phoenix. We stood alongside the river, and it was the most amazing sight. There were houses that were washing by. There was cars that were tumbling and washing by. This was a stream that was just absolutely amazing. And so, a few days after seeing that site, we went up to the Roosevelt Dam. And the Roosevelt Dam, because of the amount of water, the floodgates were wide open. And those streams of water, they were as wide as you know any of these rows here in the sanctuary. Was just shooting out of that dam like 400, 500 feet out. It was an amazing sight to see that. He said he's going to open up the floodgates of heaven. So with that in your mind, and he said, I'm going to pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to restore it. Now, when I hear that, the first thing I think of is count me in. Don't you? Come on. I know you better than that. Don't give me your spiritual face. Give me your real face, all right? And then he says, "I'll do this." In addition to blessing you in a in a in a way that you would not even be able to store it all up. In verse 11, he said, and "I will rebuke the devourer of yours for your sakes, and he will not destroy the fruit of your ground." Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. Placing this once again in an agricultural setting. He's saying what I will do for you, I'll keep the bugs from eating up your wealth. I will stop the devourer. I will stop the things that normally would destroy and eat up all your labor and all your hard work. The things that you have given yourself and you worked hard And many of you have worked very hard in this place. You've labored diligently, but you've always thought it was just up to you. It's been been an individual trying to make go for himself. What a challenge. He said, if you'll test me in this. Test me out. Matter of fact, this is the only time in the Bible where God says, put me to the test. See if I'm a liar or not. See if I'll come through or not. You can trust me, I will be your partner for life. And so he said, trust me, prove me. And he said, he would open the windows of heaven, pour out blessings you cannot contain. He said, he would rebuke the devourer and that you then would be recognized even by those round about you as being blessed of the Lord. Have you ever looked at somebody's life and you thought, you know, if I could just make an easy exchange with you right now. Your life seems easy. Your life seems blessed. Your life is, you know, uh, just seemingly just overflowing with, with blessings of every kind. He said, you'll be recognized as being blessed by the Lord. You'll be undeniable. And friends, I believe that there's days that are coming ahead financially, not only for the United States, but for the world. The house of cards that we have built is going to crumble. The Bible says the day is coming. And I believe that it's not just some kind of a, you know, fictitious way of telling how bad things may be. But the Bible says that a bag of gold will only buy a what? Loaf of bread. And so the Bible is telling us that there's days that are ahead. They're going to be tough. And friends, when things get tough, that's when you want to have the right partner, right? Want to have the right partner, and as Christians this morning, where they're living under the blessing or under the curse, you know. And often the devil tricks people into believing, well, you know, if I had more money, just as soon as my ship comes in, as soon as this happens, that happens, then I'll start, I'll start giving to God, I'll start being a you know, tither. You know, I believe this is the devil's way of keeping people under the curse. Start now. Break the curse. When things get tight, I'll tell you what me and my wife do. We give more because we believe that giving is the way to break the back of the devil and poverty. We believe that. And so that's what we've, we've practiced. And friends, it's worked. And I've seen the hand of God time and time again. Coming up this December 28th, it'll be 50 years that I said, I do. 50 years of God's blessing. When things get tight here at Discover Church, you know what we do? I gather together with my board of directors and my board here and we say, how can we invest somewhere else? How can we give to someone in another ministry? How can we do more for Teen Challenge? How can we do more for you know, those that are working with those that have been placed on the streets and their lives are being controlled? How can we do more to help someone else? And so when we run into a financial pinch, we give more. Me and my wife run into a financial pinch, we give more. And it's a way to break that poverty. It's a way to break through what the enemy would want to thwart us from. How do you give? Let me encourage you, give systematically. The Bible says you do it on the first day of the week. It's our first fruits. It's the very first expenditure we make. That's the very first thing that we have done, Sherry and I, all of our married life. And I think of the words of David. It was King David that said, you know, I've been young and now I'm old. He said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. He said, God has been faithful. God has been the one that's been my partner all life long. And out of that partnership, when others did not have, God saw to it that we had. Exodus 23 says this, the first of the firstfruits of thy land, thou shalt bring into the house of the Lord thy God. Let me encourage you learn how to be Generous. That's not our natural bend. If I were to take you over to the nursery this morning, I promise I could get a little person, little type, very angry with you if you take a toy. Mine. One of the first words they learn. Mine. Mine. And what's in your hand, that's mine too. Matter of fact, my blocks. That block in your hand, mine. Matter of fact, all the blocks in the world belong to me. And somewhere along the way, it transfers from from the nursery, and it becomes a lifestyle. Learn to be generous. You know, the Bible says this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should Give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly nor under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Let me also add, God will take from a grouch. God is able to bless you. Look at the last part of that verse. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, think about that, in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound unto every good work so generously. When you are so generously, you're beating up the one that wants to take advantage of you, the devil himself. Tithing is more than a spiritual topic. Tithing is more of a spiritual topic than a financial one, writes Dave Ramsey. It is not about the money, it's about the heart. It's about living with the attitude that we've been blessed to be a blessing. How frustrated are you today financially? Who have you got for a financial planner? let me recommend the God that loved you, created you, and the God that said, let there be light, and there was light. The one that has shaped and formed your life and your days. The one that said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. The one that said, I know the plans I have for you, for hope and for a future. Let's be people that are generous And let's take God, let's take Him as our strong financial partner for life. I want you to bow your heads. Lord, you know the struggle. Lord, that some face in this moment, Lord, because they think about money and they think money is dirty, money is evil what we do with it can be, but in and of itself, it is certainly not. And that you have wanted a people that you could, you could cause to be the trophy of your blessing. And first you chose Israel. And Israel, after they got everything they wanted, they got their homes, they, they'd eaten, they were full, their barns were filled to the roof. Then they began to think, I... I deserve all of this, this is all mine. And you said, no, I'll return, I'll take back what belongs to me if you wanna see what really is yours. I pray, oh God, that we would learn how to be generous, no matter what the culture round about us is teaching us. Father, I pray that those that have had such a struggle financially they're tired of the bill collectors. They're tired of, of the threats that they will soon be evicted behind on the rent. Their car is soon to be in Hawk, All of these things. Father, I pray, Lord, as they begin to trust you and as they bring the first fruits to you, saying, Lord, this makes no sense in the natural, but if you said it, I believe it, that settles it, and that's the way I will live my life. It's a step of faith. And Lord, I pray that the things we've shared today will help men and women, Lord, to come out from underneath that heavy heavy load, that when they wake in the morning, they're, they're sick to their stomach, thinking about one more day of just going through the grind and really making little to no headway. I pray, O God, that we learn to trust in you, and I thank you, Lord, that we can, and that we can give our lives to you, we can trust you with, with our resources, realizing that first and foremost, it's all come from you.